Dear listeners, welcome to Faces of Digital Health, a podcast about digital health and how healthcare systems around the world adopt technology, with me, Tiasha Zaitz. One of the biggest global challenges in healthcare at the moment is the workforce crisis. In one of our episodes end of last year, this is how nurse entrepreneur and thought leader Rebecca Love from the U.S. described the current situation in regards to nursing in the U.S. There's about 19 million nurses around the world. And an interesting thing is we thought post-pandemic that nursing was going to resolve, get better. But actually, we're seeing the exact opposite. In the United States, a recent study that just came out said that one in three bedside nurses are uh, looking to leave the bedside by the end of this year. That's going to accelerate a one million shortage that we thought was going to hit in 2030 to accelerate now to hit in 2022 at the end of this year. Um, now, and really remarkable, it's not just unique to the United States, but for the first time ever, we had the entire state of Minnesota go on strike in their nursing workforce. We are seeing strikes across Canada. I was just listening to strikes across Africa going on because the truth is that after COVID, the workforce has not gotten better. We just recently did a study through IntelliCare in the long care, in the long-term care space. We said that nurses, that during COVID, they felt that care was weaker or poorer and it out led to worse outcomes for patients. And two thirds of those nurses still feel that those numbers haven't recovered and outcomes are still very poor for patients delivering care. So we haven't recovered, we're at a very different space, but I think not only is it different, I think we thought it was going to get better and I think we realized it's actually getting worse. In today's episode, we will take a look at a good practice related to a nursing organization in the community from the Netherlands. I spoke with Thijs de Blok, CEO of Burzok International, which is an organization of 15,000 nurses that work in self-managing teams and provide holistic care to patients. I asked Thijs more about the early beginnings of the organization, how it fits in the Dutch healthcare system context, and what does he observe in terms of care provision globally. Enjoy the show and subscribe to the podcast if you haven't yet to be notified about new episodes automatically. Additionally, do check out our newsletter. You can find it at fodh.substack.com. We only publish it roughly once a month to cover what's been said and mentioned in the last few episodes. Now let's dive into today's discussion. So, Thais, thank you for joining this discussion about healthcare provision in the Netherlands, the state of nursing, the global nursing crisis, and what organizations can learn from Burzorg. It's a globally recognized organization because it reinvented the way nursing care or home care is delivered in the community. The basic principle is that self-managing teams of 12 members take care of around 50 patients and try to create a whole ecosystem of care around them, engage the community to enable better outcomes. It's a good example of value-based healthcare. This was invented or started in the Netherlands. So just as a warm-up question, can you talk a little bit about how other home care organizations operate in the Netherlands? Do they differ a lot? How does that look like? Yeah, 
That's a good question because it's putting things into context. When we started in 2006, you saw that a lot of other care organizations became bigger and more centralized and also had a lot of management layers. And this was very different in, in the 60s, 70s, and also at the start of the 80s. <clears throat> and during that time, it, it in, in, in the 70s and 80s, it was a very respectable job working as a community nurse in the Netherlands. You were, as a nurse, responsible for the elderly and the newborn in your own environment. Uh, and this all started to change when the healthcare system in the Netherlands was privatized. And with that privatization also came, uh, came commercial interests from these organizations. So it went from a free yeah, expertise sort of job to a controlled job where KPIs became more and more important. And organizations started to deliver products rather than health. And by delivering products, the, they lost the view of what healthcare meant in total. So this was how the movement was going with other care organizations in the Netherlands. And this led to worse health-related outcomes and a lot more overhead, mainly due to administration and management layers. So that's from the organizational point of view. Uh, from the client perspective, it was that they were faced with a lot of different professionals in their home environment, sometimes up to 30 a month. Now you can imagine for clients struggling from dementia or Alzheimer's disease, to have even one stranger in your house every month is quite difficult already. And then multiplied it by 30, it can be very frightening. And there was no personal connection between the care providers and the clients. So we said at Bootsoft that should be different. We want to go back to the old way where the nurse, the community nurse, has a respectable position in society, but also by means of new technology and new insights. So we got started and we said we want to defer from that production-driven methodology and we want to focus on good health outcomes. And that's what we did. We convinced the Dutch care authorities within three years to step away from a product-based approach and go more to a holistic approach where we have fee for tariff for all the services that we provide in the home of the client. And the nurses can decide up to their own professional expertise what is needed in this environment. Now, the anticipation was from a lot of other stakeholders that this would be a lot more expensive. But actually, it was a lot cheaper. Butoch has created a cost saving for the system around 25%. And when we got started in 2006, the average hours of care per client per year were around 110 hours. At the moment, it's 65 hours per client per year and better health outcomes. So... If you look from a perspective where you say there's not enough nurses, we are dealing with a crisis where people are getting older and there's less professionals that are in the healthcare sector, it's very logical to start looking at care differently and to say, what if we educate people as high as possible, make them as generalist as possible and treat the resources as they are? That's one of the cornerstones also of Bootsoch. 
I have several follow-up questions there. So one is that you mentioned that you have one tariff for the services that you provide. Did that impact other care providers as well, or do they still still uh, charge per what they do? So, you know, wound dressing and all the other services that they might provide. Let's just quickly clarify that. Yeah, this is a national policy instigated by Buurtzorg. This is mainly, this is only implemented on, on health care, so not on, on social care. On the social care aspect, there's still various tariffs that the insurance companies pay per service. Also for the long-term care law in the Netherlands, but this is a very complex sort of system. But also for the other care organizations in the Netherlands, it's now the same tariff for services per hour. But the conversation around it has changed also with these other organizations that it's our joint responsibility to make effective use of those hours and not to just work as many hours as we possibly can provide to one client. So that that is the biggest difference that we created to the system as well. But that was basically in the beginning, in the first three years, you mentioned that these, some of these systemic changes happened. Did you see any other changes in the way that the healthcare system is designed around healthcare at home and social care provision after uh, that? So that's 14 years later, because as you, you mentioned, 25% savings, even EY did a study in 2000. And nine that showed that the savings for the Dutch social security system were estimated to close to two billion euros annually. So mm. I'm, I can imagine that the logical next step would be for the system to start thinking about how can you reinvent the care provision. Yeah, it's it, it's still happening a lot. It's not always easy because it's a balance game between politics and business. There's a lot of other organizations also in the Netherlands that are quite jealous of how Buto is doing things. And a good example of it is that we raised the wages at Buto last March last year. And a lot of other companies said, well, you have to stick to the collective bargain agreement and you can't start individually paying nurses more because that's spoiling the market. Yeah, so if you do that in any other sector, it's normal because it's profit-driven, but if you do it in social jobs like education or nursing, it's suddenly ridiculous to do it. But we said we have the funds for it because we don't have management layers that we spend a lot of money on. So we are in the position to pay our frontline staff better. And we think that everyone should be rewarded better in the care sector. So we said, well, you're free to do the same thing if you think that we are spoiling the market. And we see now that a lot of other organizations also increase their wages because of this pressure. And it's eventually leading more people towards the care sector. So for people to switch careers. And yeah, it's from a capacity point of view, and especially in the Netherlands, where there should be enough money within the system to do so you have bigger problems to deal with. And slowly but surely, there's a broader understanding around all these things. And we see that with Buto as well, that we don't only deal with elderly care at the moment, but also we have Buto T for psychiatric care. We have Boot Living for 
yeah, for small scale elderly living facilities in the neighborhoods where they live their entire life for social services at home. So it's all these kind of movements, and I feel Bürtoch is more a movement than an organization, that are taking place at the same time and lots of people that feel inspired by this way of organizing. If you try to clarify a little bit further how the whole organization is structured, there's no management layer because you've got self-managing teams. But you mentioned earlier that in the past, different specialists would visit the same patient. And even now you mentioned that basically you have teams that are specialized for different care cases. So what does that mean for the employees that you need? So to which extent do you actually have different specialists? or And to which extent do you have to just upskill everyone to the same level? Uh, yeah, from a financial aspect and from a quality aspect, it's good to have a balance within a team. So if you have a client that only needs low complex care, it would be quite wasteful to send an expert nurse on, on specific topics to this client. But the, ide the ideology behind it is that if this client needs a certain expertise at home, for example, a, a wound care that you mentioned earlier, it's from a personal connection a lot better that if the nurse is coming to look at the wound, she, he or she can also do the other care tasks that are required for this patient and where a traditional Dutch care organization would match up not persons to each other but tasks so one nurse would come for the washing 10 minutes washing and then another nurse would come for the wound and then another nurse would come for something else and so on and in Buurtzorg we try to match it as much as possible with one and the same person being in the environment of the client as much as possible. Bursa is currently present in 24 countries, and correct me if that has changed. And I'm wondering how that whole scaling process happened. Did you get interest from, the, from other countries that slowly started implementing the approach of self-managing teams? Did you have a systemic approach to scaling? How are you approaching that? Also, since uh, different healthcare systems are designed differently, so I imagine you have to be mindful of that as well. Yeah, the motivation always comes from the place where the need is, which is in a lot of places these days. And Bürtoch is, we became quite famous quite quickly because of our, un, our unorthodox approach in, in healthcare. Um, but it's not that we ever look from Bürtoch in the Netherlands, oh, what market can we enter now? It's always we, people reach out to us with a problem and how can we contribute to the solution of the problem? And that's also the second part of the answer to your question you need to work with local experts that know the local care system well enough so Bürtzorg in how it looks in the Netherlands is completely made to move within the environment that the health insurance companies the care authorities the politics the culture has created to move within now for any ge other geographical place 
this environment looks different and there's burdens in places and there's opportunities in other places. And the challenge is to explore the opportunities where everyone benefits from it and to break down the burdens that that are on your way. So what, for example, in, in a lot of other countries, for example, the UK, where the care system was traditionally quite good, it was an integrated care system and free care for everyone, sounds beautiful. The bureaucratic backlash for the nursing teams and for the nurses in general has become way too high. This is something that needs extra attention and that where they can learn from on how to deal with this. But the actual competence of the nurses that work within these systems can be quite high. So from a professional point of view, there's not so much to learn in some cases. In other cases, take India or China, there's quite some things that on nurse practice that can be exchanged and learned. So it's always to see where is the need, how is the current situation, how can we start a movement and how do we get as close as possible to good outcomes as we did in the Netherlands. Do you have any examples of just things that perhaps surprised you in care provision in different countries because in different countries the nurses also have different roles, are authorized to do different things. In some countries they can become prescribers, in other countries they can't be that. So how does that impact the scaling of the whole model? Yeah, in, in, in every case that's different as you say. One, one eye-opener for me was when I was in South Korea, was that acute care saw primary care as a competitor. And this was the first time I've ever heard it. I never thought of it that way. But hospitals see home care as competition where I thought everybody that works in care has some sort of intrinsical motivation to just make people better. And yeah, this, this was quite some long conversations to find, okay, where do we overlap? And where can we support each other? And where can we lead to healthy communication? Now, in in the Netherlands and certain areas of the countries, the relation between general practitioners or hospital doctors and nurses in the community is perceived different. The first years that we started, a lot of general practitioners, they asked, oh, let me speak to your manager. And then we said, oh, we don't have any managers. So you can either speak with the nursing team or we have an issue. And after a while, because of this, you have to be exposed to it anyway. You need to help each other in this setting. Also, these general practitioners start to experience what it, what benefits it can bring of directly communicate with the people who are taking care of your communal clients. So the step-by-step People start to communicate more on a personal level. And that is one of the big pros of a decentralized organization is that you can bring these people together. And once you know where to find each other, it's very easy. So, yeah, decentralization is is a hot topic in healthcare, especially when you look at ideas around blockchain and how it could address healthcare. But I'm it's potentially difficult to imagine an organization without any management team. So maybe you can also just explain, is there someone that oversees the 
kind of financial health of the whole organization <coughs> or is each team an individual and independent structure that's also in charge of and responsible for their financial survival? How does that work? There, There is, of course, a, a shared vision. It's not anarchy. So we have a framework at Bootsorg that says a couple of things. One of them is the productivity. Productivity to be financially sustainable should be 61%, so 61% client-facing time. And all the teams know about this. So if there's a problem around this, they can reach out for help. But often there's no problem, so then it's completely self-governing. But in case there is a problem, there's regional coaches, there is a back office that we have for of with 50 people in the east of the country. So there's 50 people as an administrative network for 15,000 people in the front line. So it's quite a small number. But the, all these people are completely aligned on these same principles and the same aspects in the framework. So we all know what it means. And if you, for example, you have a colleague who's ill and who can't work for a while, your productivity will drop as a team. So then you say, okay, how can we find a solution to make this better again? But it's to create some simplicity around these topics and to make them understandable for everyone leads to better outcomes. Where the traditional MBA approach in this is to create business language around this and where people are being made to feel incompetent around business yeah, business language and they say, well, I don't know how this works. I'm just a nurse. I'll do my job. And on these other aspects, I don't have an opinion because I'm not not educated enough. But what you see at the same time is that a lot of these nurses, 98% at Butor are women. And a lot of these women are also at the head of the families. And running a family is not very different than running a small business. If there's more money going out than coming in, eventually you run into problems. It's not very different for a business. So to create as much as possible simplicity and to make it into understandable terms really creates different outcomes than any other sort of business in the world. And when we started in 2006, we had a financial year report on one A4 sheet of paper. And in 2022, with 15,000 employees, it's still one A4 sheet of paper that says it all because there's not that much needed to make it more complex. I'm wondering one thing. Obviously, Bursorg as an organization has a lot of reputation. It's, uh, we mentioned that it's present in 24 countries, and there's two things here. So I'm wondering, is it still growing in the Netherlands? Where do you see that... Uh, nurses have a motivation to work in a more traditional setting and yeah so that's basically it because do you think that every nurse is could be a part of Bursorg or do you have to have a certain personality type to be able to work in such an environment because of course 
it's great to have autonomy, it's great to be self-organized, but maybe that's not exactly for everyone. And the reason I'm asking this is also because there's a lot of discussion going currently into what the work environment should be for nurses especially in the US, they're primarily seen as a cost. So hospitals try to save money by having less nurses. And obviously, that becomes impossible environment to work in. In the past, in the NHS, there was a large movement towards agency care. So nurses could have more flexibility and control over how much they work and where they work. So what kind of trends are you seeing? To go back to the beginning of the question, is the number of nurses and interest increasing in the Netherlands? If we just take that environment as an example, and uh, yeah, uh, the number of nurses working for Boots on Netherlands has been stable for a couple of years. We have a significant market share. I think of seventeen, sixteen, or seventeen percent at the moment, and it's not bad to have some competition. What we see a lot is that the health-related outcomes and the client. Yeah, rewarding the client rating of Buter is quite high, which also leads to better outcomes for other care organizations. And that's, of course, the shared goal is that we want to create better healthcare in the Netherlands. The, in, in the Netherlands, there's also still a shortage of nurses. So by increasing the wages, as I've mentioned earlier, and things like that, we try to encourage people to get into nursing or to become a nurse by studying or make a career switch. But this is all quite slowly. What we do see a lot is a growth in width. So, for example, uh, psychiatric care, T, D stands for therapy, was founded a couple of years ago, and you see now all sorts of T. So in psychiatric care, teams working in the neighborhood also with the same methodology and also in this self-managing manner and it's all clubs of different people using the implementation of self-management on an international level i see it growing every day so it's often it's that an article is written in some local context or a case study and suddenly my email inbox is full with emails from spain or from lithuania i was recently or from denmark or from norway and there's still a lot of countries that, that say, well, we have an, an issue we have to tackle together and we are looking for a solution. And often when you are struggling with capacity issues, having less overhead becomes very attractive to get, to get into. And it's, it's actually quite shocking what you say with, within the US that, they, that the nurses are seen as a cost and that there's a motivation for for, to have less nurses because they're your only workforce that can have a real contribution towards prevention and the cheapest healthcare is the healthcare you don't provide AI. to expect real prevention from doctors who see clients, patients when it's often comes to acute care or when people are recovering from a disease or condition that already happened it's, I think it's very unlogical and to have a good personal connection with someone in your own uh, neighborhood or your own geographical setting that knows you as a person can prevent a lot of problems. Absolutely. It's 
yeah, the comment that I had was basically just from the, yeah, from hospital care. So not as much for home care. I'm not that familiar with that. It is true, though, that there's now a huge movement towards moving care from hospitals to home as much as possible, just because it's much easier to provide care at home if that means that you don't have all the infrastructure-related costs. That's one thing. There are several issues that happen just because a person is hospitalized, such as infections. And the concept of at-home hospitals is not new. There are organizations that have been running this for years, but it's becoming an, a more attractive idea now, I think also because of the workforce shortages in healthcare. How do you observe these trends and these concerns? And especially with the pandemic, those concerns have become even more vocal because many professionals left the profession entirely. And before the pandemic as well, I think it would be it would be strange to think that it's something of the past two years that people have been leaving the care sector because of mainly work pressure and yeah, initiatives to make work more efficient. What I see a lot is, is that if a hospital at home is a very good initiative, but you need a care professional to be the orchestrator of the care around the client. If this is based on a fee per service from directly from the client towards a doctor on a video screen, for example. It can lead to some very unhealthy dynamics where it's like a customer approach rather than a client who, who needs care approach. I think what Bootsoft really contributes to this or the of methodology is that you get to know the person that you're dealing with, you get to know the problems in their environment, and based on professional competences around these issues and around these problems, whether they, they're physical, mental, psychosocial, all sorts of problems, you make an, a good estimation of what is needed to make someone better again or to make someone independent again. And from yeah, small, short interactions with and healthcare professionals with the best of intentions, this may not lead to the same outcomes. So it's, I think it should be both techno technological innovations will be and or can be and will be the solution to a lot of health problems, but we shouldn't underestimate the social aspect of healthcare in general because this can be quite dangerous and lead to even bigger capacity issues. In the beginning, actually, in the first answer, you mentioned that technology plays an important part in your organization. So what kind of technologies do you use? What kind of technologies do you see as having most potential to improve care, to optimize care, which is the main hope that we have with technology, a better experience, a more efficient care from a technology point of view, we we started quite early in 2006. There wasn't a lot of assessment systems integrated in IT systems yet for ambulatory care. So we implemented the OMA system, which was until then a system on paper in our Bürtel web. So next to 
a communication platform. We also had an assessment system. And we ever since then, we've been branching out with other devices that can be linked into this assessment system to make work more efficient or more easy or more effective. And it, it goes from blood pressure meters that people can use themselves and they log in to their own IT uh, system and the nurse can see on distance what the blood pressure was of the day to um, yeah, Baxter's for medication that give out the medication every day for the client. It's all small initiatives, but they all should be driven and led by the experts. And the experts are the nurses in this. And once people start to use unnecessary technology to just because it's a trend, you often see that there's yeah problems that, that arise from it. And one interesting thing is what we also see a lot more is, is robots that for people that deal with dementia. So it's there's a, there's a direct interaction like we have on our cell phones with, with either Siri or Alexa or whatever. There are a lot of initiatives for people to communicate with um, with a device that talks back to you. Now, as a contribution to the original communication of the elderly i think it's a very good initiative but once it starts replacing these things i think it can be very dangerous and unhealthy so it's uh, that's how we look at technology but it's to make everyone's work for the nurses and the life of the elderly a bit more pleasant and a bit more fun i think it's everything is very positive these reminds me of a few episodes from the past that I had. So how in Japan, robots are not the primary association when you say a robot is not Terminator, as it is in the West. It's more of a companion, a friend. You have robots for the elderly that act as companions to that. Um, at the same time, there's innovations such as a French company that provides the elderly with a screen on a stand that's basically a robot, but that screen basically serves as a window to various activities. So you can join online or virtual cooking classes or someone will go hiking with a camera and the elderly person at home will be able to experience that as well. So there's several approaches. And what I'm kind of wondering here is how, is there any additional differences or examples that you could mention of how care is provided in different markets that you work in and how does that impact how often Bursok nurses will visit patients? Yeah, yeah. I actually lived in Japan for a while so I'm quite aware of the use of robots in this setting and what I found really intriguing in this context is that a lot of people, elderly people, are more comfortable with mobile devices or technology already. So a lot of the communication can be done between care provider and care recipient through these mobile devices as well. So it's where, where in, and also in the Netherlands, where in some cases of a client having to take the medication every evening before the nurse would have to go in the evening on the evening route to the address to ask 
this client, have you taken your medication? Okay, can I see it? With people that are struggling with cognitive disablement, but are good with technology, this is very easily to replace by a phone call these days. And it's also done in this way. So it makes it more effective, but that doesn't mean it should replace it entirely. So then you say, we have more time during the day or during the morning to speak to each other. How was development of your disease or of your condition going? How are the social problems? And then in the evening, you can make do with a phone call or sometimes with a text message and things like that. So it's, I think it's a movement that will continuously change in the next years because as everybody is growing older, also the skills of dealing with this of, from a client perspective will increase. And I think what my living in Japan did was looking a little bit little bit into the future of what's coming for us in in Europe and the US. An interesting question here is the nurses in your teams visit their patients they really really focus on how people are in their homes what kind of care they need to provide and when it comes to innovations or setting the direction of companies, let's say, and when thinking how do you want to advance and improve and innovate, the question is, who does that in Bursok? I imagine the answer is everyone. So the next question, I guess, is how does the knowledge sharing happen and the good practices sharing and the lessons learned, and the, is Burzok also changing? Yeah, of course, but if you start as an innovative organization and you stop innovating, in no time you're quite old-fashioned, so we keep innovating. And it's on a community platform on, on the Burzok web that we have that a lot of people are sharing personal experiences that they've had with new technology, but also with social innovations or with projects. We also have a team of project employees. So they, they talk to the teams in the region and to see if there's any interesting developments going on in those regions that everyone could benefit from and to make it into a larger organizational project. So all these things are continuously going on and we share ideas on, yeah, on meetings that we have regionally every year with people from the same area and see what is successful, what's perceived as positive, what's perceived as difficult. For example, if there's a new law or regulation, how do we deal with these problems and how do we see fit to implement this in, in, in a Bürtzog-like way? So these are very yeah, communal-driven initiatives and it, it's not supported. It's not enforced from the top down to say we believe in a certain innovation and everybody has from now on used this. It's never that way at Bürtor. It's, it's always to the point where people that do feel confident and comfortable using things, they use it. And people that don't, and this counts for clients and for, uh, for nurses, then, then they don't. So it's, uh, it's always the same sort of dialogue that you have to create around it. Do you create any public awareness around the innovations that happen inside uh, Burtzorg? 
when you were explaining that innovation is continuously happening, that reminded me of how nurses really innovate on a daily basis in any setting when they need to think of workarounds because the solutions that they use are not designed optimally. So they just have to figure out how to just do the core of what they need to do, which is provide the care for the patient. And yeah, so where can people learn more about the latest innovations that you have thought of? Do you have any collaboration about how good practices could additionally impact healthcare systems in the countries that you work in? There's different innovations and different needs in, in various places. On an international level, I think the biggest innovation is social innovation that we contribute. And the technological things, if you look around the globe, they're quite under control from a local aspect. Of course, we do have conversations around this, but it's not the primary focus. The primary focus for us to to inspire and to teach other organizations is really how do we deal with boots, the boots of methodology and this flat sort of organization. And if the hierarchy in an organization is replaced with self-management, how to do that in a sustainable way. In the, in the Netherlands, this goes almost automatically by having an expert network on the boot of web and by just sharing stories on an everyday basis. Um, and it, it quite quickly filters out the things that are positive. And yeah, it's special. Well, maybe, maybe around COVID time, there was more communication also with the international projects and partners that we have because during COVID times there were, was more collaboration with international partners because it was giving them or us a sort of quick window into what was coming and also policy-wise and also on, for example, vaccination and testing. There was a lot of questions from people in different places and some were a bit ahead of us and some were behind us. So if you look at, for example, PPE in the Netherlands, when we ordered our first yeah, shipping of face masks, we actually got told off by the Minister of Health in the Netherlands because we were causing chaos and fear from people. And we said, we have a an, an partner organization in China. We, yeah, we don't know exactly how it went there because we weren't there, but there's a virus coming our way and it's going to be very dangerous. So we rather be prepared. And then at the next moment, they were accusing us of creating scarcity by buying our own face mask and our own protection from China. So it, by having this international collaboration and by talking to people that went already to through what was wa what we had yeah, waiting for us, we could anticipate quicker on these problems and therefore also inform all the nurses that work in the various neighborhoods. Even if they wouldn't use it at that time yet, they had ways to yeah, get the information that was needed to do so. And yeah, from us, then it went back into the world. So for example, uh, the US, where it started a bit later than, than in Europe, or in uh, Central and South America, where we also have, for example, a partner in Brazil, 
uh, where COVID became a very big problem after it. It was good to have this communication from a very early moment to see what we can do to help each other. One uh, question uh, just uh, kind of popped up in my head when I'm thinking about self-managing teams, and that's, do you think self-managing teams can work in any organization? Because it is specific to have a team of people that have the same profile compared to organizations that have very different profiles, that do very different things. So how can you have a self-managing team when the team structure is more diverse? Yeah, I think multi multidisciplinary teams is a challenge on it in itself. It's good to have topics that you connect on within a team. And it also makes meetings more easy if you have a certain professional working standard or expertise or competence to discuss these problems. Um, it would more look into an organization, okay, how can we give a group of people instead of one individual as a manager the responsibility to take care of certain tasks and to take responsibility in an entrepreneurial way of these things that need to be doing. In Bootsor, because our core business is home nursing and what, 99% of our staff are nurses, it is quite easy to implement this. Or I don't know if self-management is ever easy or difficult because it's really not doing anything. It's leaving the primary process alone and trust on people to do the right thing. But I think it's every organization or every movement should be able to trust its employer employees more and to also create an organic process around these activities that are going on within these organizations. Will it all look exactly the same as it's looking for Buter in the Netherlands? I don't think so. But it's trust is can be a very powerful thing. And autonomy is the other powerful thing. And it's quite funny because people often talk about giving autonomy. And I don't think you can give autonomy. You can take it away. It's a bit like freedom. You can disrupt it quite easy, but to restore it is very difficult. And I think that is one of the yeah, main focuses that these organizations should have, where not how do I control my employees, but how do I feel make them feel trusted are free to do what they want and I get the best yeah, activities or the best results from them working for this organization. What are some of the challenges that you see Burtzorg has and you're trying to solve? So what's still very difficult for you? Obviously, not everything is perfect. So I'm just, you know, always trying to figure out also what are some of the challenges. Maybe a, a better or an easier question would be, What's the most difficult things when you're establishing new teams or if people decide to leave? Like, why do they decide to leave if they do decide to leave? Yeah, no, our, our retention is extremely high at Boots, or the highest in the country, not just in healthcare, but in, in all organizations. So that that's not really problems that come to mind there of course there's conflicts in every organization and on a team level but by having these the by having this decentralized approach 
you keep the problems where they exist and they can be on a personal level or they can be on on the level of an incident but by by centralizing this into an organization and having an entire hr department trying to prevent these issues from happening which is an illusion anyway you just get to find them maybe quicker or get to identify them differently but you can ne- you can never prevent these things from happening but yeah in a decentralized way they stay where they are and you get to solve them where they are in a human interaction way and if if people really don't want to be part of the same club or the same team anymore then you should find a solution to yeah make it work whereby a colleague leaving towards another team or a colleague leaving the organization or splitting the team and the Butor teams are up to 12 nurses and sometimes it's healthy to split the team to make them grow again to create a different culture and to also set some new challenges so these are all things that are done very organically at Butor but we don't really see any challenges in in trying to control a self-managed organization it's 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 quite funny because with with a group of people from the back office we were in Cuba at the start of last year and my communication is quite limited from Cuba and people were so confused because they said you are all here how is Buto going to survive and we said yeah it's like it is every day they we are probably more in the way than that we're helping so it's and it didn't lead to any problems and for a lot of traditional organizations this was quite difficult to understand that this wouldn't lead to problems going from this again to the broader picture of healthcare challenges and workforce challenges what do you see needs to change to increase workforce retention decrease burnout and improve existing care models Bro- uh, this is broadly speaking yeah i i i think it's the focus on the i find it a, a silly phrase the work life balance i think it's just a life balance because work is a part of life but also the vitality of the people that are working in these organizations to to have them in eye whenever also when there's no problems yet so to have an, an a normal conversation on human topics yeah, if you have problems at home to be able to speak with your colleagues about that and to see where they can assist you by relieving you of some pressure or some to help to assist to yeah create a network this can all lead to better outcomes but if you have a very separate view to what is private and what is work this can become a problem and then your colleagues don't see it coming and what you see in a lot of of yeah, organizations and companies is that by the time you start noticing it is too late by and by the time it happens the work pressure becomes extra on the people that are remaining within these these groups and these teams so it becomes a spiral that, that that's only getting worse and i think by having these talks and by having a network around you that is professional but at the same time informal you can uh, avoid a lot of these problems oh, one last question 
So you travel a lot. You just mentioned Cuba. We mentioned 24 countries. What kind of ideas in terms of care provision or reshaping organizations have you perhaps found useful, inspiring, and see as a good approach towards care provision, addressing retention, burnout, or care models? Yeah, I will mention Cuba again in uh, in this way, because from seeing a, a country that from a resource point of view, financial resource point of view, has very little at the moment. It's definitely since COVID as well, and already for years, it's been not going so well there. But Cuba has 25% of the people have a degree in health, a bachelor degree or higher in healthcare. So you have a really good environment where people immediately understand what certain topics, for example, what prevention means in your own environment. And people talk openly about these things, where in in the Netherlands you often see that a general practitioner doesn't want to live in his neighborhood where he's working or in the village, but goes and live in the next village or next neighborhood because he or she is scared that uh, he will run into clients uh, in the supermarket and they may ask him a question. And in Cuba, it's the opposite. It's a sort of communal health. Health is a communal problem. and to contribute towards better outcomes, everybody is involved. So the entire networks around someone that needs help are amazing to see. And actually, I'm, I think it would be a very good example for the entire world to look a bit more at what does this mean, not only from a financial point of view, but also from a social point of view. And yeah, quite honestly, I'm quite jealous that with little financial means, they are doing so much better than we are still doing in the Netherlands with this. You've been listening to Faces of Digital Health, a proud member of the Health Podcast Network. Stay tuned, subscribe to the podcast to get new episodes automatically, and also check out our newsletter at fodh.substack.com. That's fodh.substack.com, and see what we covered in the last month. Stay tuned. Thank you.